This is episode 155 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, The Future of Office Space. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show. And thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I am so delighted to welcome a fellow San Diegan to the podcast today. Scott Ginsberg is with us, and I've known Scott uh, for years and years with his work as a tenant uh, representative in the San Diego biotech industry, although he covers all of the industries. And I'll introduce him here. He has more than 20 years of experience exclusively representing commercial real estate tenants, and we'll explain why that's important in a few minutes. He's senior VP at Hughes Marino, which is headquartered and uh, family-owned in San Diego. And Hughes Marino, I can attest, is a very highly regarded tenant representative firm and has won numerous awards. And Scott's passion for representing tenants comes from his prior life when he owned a tech company where he hired a commercial real estate agent uh, to help him with his first lease and then was uh, shocked to discover that his agent also worked for landlords, which represented, obviously, an inherent conflict of interest. And so Scott decided that when he went into commercial real estate, he would focus solely on tenants so that uh, no client would be in the kind of compromised position he found himself in. He and his wife have co-founded ScratchMyBelly.org, love that name, which is an all-breed dog rescue. And he's also a huge car fan and enjoys spending time racing on various car tracks in the U.S. So welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks, Jennifer. I appreciate you having me and thank you for the, uh, for the nice intro. Just one minor detail just for the, for the listeners. Uh, my experience in the last 20 years of representing commercial real estate tenants, i.e. businesses, for the most part, my clientele fall into the biotech category, the technology category, fast, you know, emerging growth technologies, services type companies. So I'm not exclusive to biotech, but that probably makes up about 40, 45% of my uh, clientele just by nature of obviously the San Diego marketplace and my undergraduate degree in uh, pre-medicine. Cool. All right. So give us a kind of a big picture overview first. So what's happening with office space in San Diego as far as availability <laughs> goes? Yeah. So tell us what's happening out there. Well, I, I could sum that up real easy this way. And I would say that I've asked this question to colleagues up and down the state of California, in San Diego, and throughout the U.S., uh, as well as clients. For the last two weeks, I can tell you, it seems like we're all deer on the road, staring at headlights, jogging left, jogging right, mm -hmm. going, which way is the market turning? It literally seems like everybody, especially these last two weeks of the month, 
most people are just like so tired of being cooped up. Most people are going, I'm not even watching the news anymore. Uh And so for the most part in the immediate future, like the last two weeks, as well as until the end of the 4th of July, I think most people have kind of honestly have checked out not all, but a lot response rates are down. I use a LinkedIn coach uh, to help me. And we were discussing yesterday. She's a very prominent avid user on LinkedIn view counts are down. So it's just kind of the sense of the time. So in other words, people are pretty much frozen, frozen up for the last couple of weeks. Now with respect to real estate, here's how I would personally classify companies. And so I'm, I'm looking and I'm speaking from, I'll talk number one about, you know, the tenant, the occupant. So in other words, if you're a business owner renting commercial real estate space, whether it's office space, biotechnology space with lab or R&D flex technology space, industrial space, the one type of company that myself, Scott Ginsburg and and Hughes Marino, we don't really work in is the retail space. Mm -hmm. So excluding that, I would kind of classify companies in three buckets. The industry obviously has been hit hard. I think um, from the tenant's perspective, you have three categories. You have companies that are A, ones that are just bleeding from the hip on the field and, you know, the PPP money probably dragged into, you know, cover for lack of a better word. You've got second B, a group of companies that are making do they're able to kind of chug through the downturn and put some space on the market for sublease maybe they're working out some rent deferrals what have you and then you have a third class or c my nomenclature is off sorry no (laughs) no um, (laughs) i'm following (laughs) (laughs) but uh i started off with amn and going one so sorry for the mix up (laughs) there but the the third type i would classify candidly are companies that are doing great like mm-hmm. I have companies that are in the gaming industry that are on online fleet tracking that are SaaS platform. They're killing it. They're, they haven't been affected at all, but I can tell you they're kind of scratching their head going, wait a second, we're not using our space. We should be getting a rent deferral or some free rent. So those are the kind of the three types that some, some that are just completely just getting crushed ones that are able to just push through and others that are, haven't been affected um, from a landlord perspective, and we don't represent landlords. I have never represented a landlord, but I obviously have an insight to this because my night job, I own a few very small apartment buildings in San Diego. So I understand exactly how deals are underwritten and obviously just being in the business for a couple decades. The market has frozen for the past 100 plus days. You look at the stock market, we're at all time highs with the big tech giants and Tesla and you name it. But the real estate market, even residential, there hasn't been a ton of movement and flexibility. In other words, landlords, for the most part, a lot of them are, I wouldn't say in denial, but they're still hanging on to pre-COVID rates. Mm -hmm. You don't see new rates getting published or advertised at deep discounts yet. And that's really indicative of most downturns. Even though COVID just whacked us and it was immediate shutdown, there's no real reason, and I understand it, and there's not enough time period where the market moves and landlords are losing deals. It's going to take a period of time for the groundswell to accumulate. 
and landlords are going to have to lose some deals in order to basically start publishing lower and lower rents. And this isn't just for San Diego. This is where Orange County, which I serve, Los Angeles. I have a lot of clients up in the Bay Area. I can tell you that here, and I'll end on this note before I turn it back to you, is two things. Number one, there are deals getting done and landlords are definitely getting more aggressive by leaps and bounds. Some are, for the most part, some are not. They're still waiting like everybody else Mm -hmm. and it's market dependent. The second point is the on flux of space. San Diego for the ending fourth quarter of 2019 compared to the second quarter ending June 20 uh, in San Diego, there's only been an increase of sublease availability, meaning a company that has, let's say, 10,000, 5,000, 20,000 feet, and they want to put all or a portion on the market for sublease because we do help customers because they're the tenants get out of spaces. Mm-hmm. They'll put that space on the market for another tenant to sublease. That's That amount over the past six months has only increased by 6% in San Diego. Wow. Orange County, it's increased by 9%. So a lot of people aren't really putting their space on the market during COVID times because there hasn't been a lot of tours. Now they're slowly, obviously, spooling up and the market activity is getting a little bit more viral than obviously it was during lockdown. But here's an interesting fact. LA is up almost 30%. Oh, and the Bay, the Bay Area is up 34%. I talked to my partner, Kevin Brennan. He runs our San Francisco office. Quote, he says, today's my birthday. He says, called me at 9 a.m. to wish me happy birthday. He says, <laughs> Scotty, it's crazy. Every single week, 150,000 square feet of subly space gets put on the market every single week. So in the last six months, they've had 5.2 million square feet hit the market on for sublease in the last six months in the Bay in the Bay Area. That's nuts. That's nuts. So that's kind of a macro macro view through, for the state of California, and it's candidly it's indicative with the U.S. as well. You're going to have some great markets in other markets, but it's a very choppy time that we're seeing until there's some fluid action of of things, you know, just moving around. Yeah, that's just fascinating. All right, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which I think a lot of people are really speculating about. (laughs) And we've been seeing uh, articles and opinions being out there about whether or not people are going to come back to the office or not. And so you you just see the whole range, right, for people saying, oh, yeah, it's just going to (laughs) be the way it was before. And some people saying, oh, no, this is it. You know, we finally forced companies into acknowledging that people can work from home. Right. So, yeah. So what do you what do you think, Scott? Well, is it okay to ramble for a minute? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, it's yeah, it's it's. Uh, I know I'm asking you to speculate, I, but but I think you have some no, insight that others might not have. I have a very strong opinion on this. I, I think there's a there's there's a there's a couple things that people may not be aware of. I'm going to hit it right head on. If the U.S. business market just says we're all going to work from home, 80% work from home. Our economy would pretty much go to zero. Why, you ask? Because out of the 300 million square feet in San Diego, retail, office, industrial, you know, more than that, probably close to 400 if you count all the retail space, 
but just office industrial retail, 300 in San Diego, probably 450 in LA, you know, a billion square feet in the Bay. You know who owns all, most of the commercial real estate? Insurance companies, public REITs, big pension funds, TIA, CREF, teachers' pension funds. So if, you, so if we really believe and or maybe hope that 80% of employees are now going to work from home, we have a heck of a lot bigger things to worry about because I tell you what, the U.S. economy is absolutely going to tank and there's going to be a banking crisis. This will look nothing like we're looking at today. So I'm not a believer that we're going to be absolutely 80% work from home in the next year, two years, whatever it is. Interesting. My, my personal feeling and, and talking with a lot of experts on this, you know, and I even read several articles, you know, there was an article in the, in the New York Times that you sent me. I've even read an article from uh, Equity Office, a daily brief. There's all, but there is, I think, an article even on LinkedIn. Nonetheless, most of these reports really arrive at the same answers. Anywhere from 60 to 50% of people say they would rather work from home. Mm-hmm. That's the what the polls say from yeah. both the surveys. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So ballpark half and half. My, my personal belief is this, and I always quote this, you know, this comment or this statistic. I can't remember if it was maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, but Yahoo and as well as IBM announced they were going to start having employees work from home. Mm-hmm. And then they saw what the stats showed. And then years later, they started having employees come back. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be fragmented. So in, in short, my personal belief, whether it's a year, maybe it's two to three years, I think there will be absolutely a percentage of companies whenever we stabilize. I think there'll be an absolute percentage of work from home employees. Maybe it's you know companies that needed a lease 10,000 feet, they can do away with 8,000 feet. Maybe it's 20, 25% that once, again, once we stabilize, is that a year and a half? Is that three years? Nobody's, nobody's going to know, but I can't fathom that 50% of employees are going to be trusted to work from home. And I think the employees that are going to work from home, the best are, I'm a commercial real estate broker. I'm out and about. I already work. I've been working from home for the past 10 years. I'm out and about. My job is to produce income for the company that I work for, Hughes Marino, is to service clients, is to be on site. When you're talking about different types of employees in different classes, you know, that article I think in the New York Times was stating, and if I'm misquoting the article, I apologize. They were talking about seniority levels and trust of employees, and sometimes that you get micromanaged mm-hmm. if you're working from home. Because now they can't see you in the office. Well, if they can't see you, how do they know you're working? And then there's other companies that are measuring what's the ROI or projects completed. I, but at the end of the day, I can tell you, Jennifer, that the reason why I work from home for the most part is simply because my office is an hour away and I have smaller kids, not super young, and, and I need the time at home to spend family versus two hours every day in the car. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, I would probably be in the office every couple, three hours a day, like I did, you know, 10 years ago at a prior firm. I did read a study about a month back, and I can't recall who reported this. 
it wasn't McKinsey, it was some other firm. Their report found that more than one and a half plus or minus days a week working from home starts to degrade performance from employees. Interesting. Because the synergy is not there. You know, a lot of people work in collaboration. So I think it's really going to be business by business, industry to industry. You have a lot of, you know, biotech tech companies that are collaborating, either building product, you name it. And you have other ones that might basically be more of a private office lawyers, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Those guys can probably, and, and, and ladies can work from home. producers like myself. I really think it's going to be industry agnostic. Other than that, I think it's going to be a 20, 25% reduction. I don't think it's going to be a monu monumental move. And I'll end on this note. Surprisingly, over the last 10 years, if you haven't been aware, on average, 10, 15, 20 years ago, every employee had to account for roughly 250 square feet. So in other words, if you had four employees, you would need 1,000 feet. Eight employees, 2,000 square feet of office space, right? Not industrial, just office space. And that has a lot to do with how buildings are parked, not in the downtown districts like downtown San Francisco or downtown San Diego, because the parking ratio is definitely not one space for every 250 square feet that you lease or four spaces per thousand, but rather it's 25% of that. For every thousand feet you lease, you get about one space. Mm. But you also have mass commuting set up in downtown LA, downtown uh, San Francisco, downtown San Diego. But in the suburbs, office if you lease 10,000 square feet, you roughly get 40 stalls. People have been trying to jam in 50 to 60 people in there. So we've been on the brink of really struggling how to find parking solutions the last five years as the open office environment is coming back very strong and the private office environment is going away. You can pack more people in. Well, you know, I have a lot of clients now are saying, hey, maybe we can basically not downsize, <laughs> we'll be fine with the space that we're at because we can keep apart and more socially distant. So I think there's some benefit as well long-term with the parking solutions, you know, on a case-by-case -case basis. But I can tell you that that has been a big, to your point, elephant in the room is really figuring out how to densify buildings when there are not parking solutions in suburban areas. That's been a big topic. Hmm. Wow, that's that's really fascinating. I'm wondering as you're talking that maybe the right answer is it's going to vary and it might be somewhere in the middle because so often answers to <laughs> yeah. questions like that end up like that, you know. So one of the things that I hear from my clients and, and people that are, are were still going to the office is that they didn't like their office arrangement. They didn't like the open office. And so your comments there at the end lead right into my next question. Do you think that we're going to see people rethink their office reconfigurations? 100%. Mm -hmm. well, 100%. So at, uh, at my firm, we've, we've been fortunate enough to kind of innovate pretty rapidly the last uh, five to seven years by bringing on uh, in-house counsel to help review lease documents for our customers so they don't have to go outside and hire counsel. It's obviously to um, review the entire lease, it, it coupled with the fact that 
on staff architects and space planners. And what we've been doing on that note on the space planning side is helping customers create social distance plans for them to onboard back to work, mm-hmm. you know, do the six feet separation. And while I think in the short term, this social distancing plan will obviously be in effect for if they get the vaccine this year, we all know it's going to be many months after by the time they figure out how to make it and get the logistics worked out. And so that Jennifer and Scott both get the vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a definite lag time. So the the social distance workforce will definitely be in place for a while. But once that vets out, I do think that the concept um, of hoteling will be much more mass adapted due to the work from home uh, implementation. I think that certain, like you said, it'll vary. Certain employees will probably have some more flexibility with their employers based upon their job role performance. And maybe they come in three days a week and work from home two days a week. I do know that there are companies right now that have some spaces that they lease where there are no assigned seating. You just drop your laptop in, plug in and sit down. Those aren't mass adapted yet, you know, obviously maybe in call centers and things of that nature, but in California, that's why there's not a lot of call centers because real estate's expensive. Uh-huh. <laughs> you find that more in the Southwest. But uh, I think that will be a gradual transition that will accelerate a little bit more rapidly in terms of um, mixing up the office layout. And I do think that perhaps it might introduce a little bit more spacing and maybe the density will probably be a little bit of a concern for quite a period of time for some companies. I think it's just going to vary. It's really going to depend upon the medicine that's going to be coming our way in the future Mm -hmm. to kill this virus. Yeah, I know this virus. Do you have any personal opinions about office layouts that you think are really beautiful and functional? You know, I do. I can tell you that at my firm, at Hughes Marino, we're in private offices, but a lot of times I work in the conference rooms or I work downstairs or, you know, on the road, whatever. And discussing with my personal customers and and our firm's customers, the one thing that a lot of companies are already adopting in this open office layout is more small meeting spaces. So in other words, let's say a company wants to lead, they have 50 employees, 40 to 50 employees. They want at least 10,000 feet of office space, for example, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have any offices at all, except maybe five for the executive staff, or maybe even those are gone as well. Well, instead of that, you might have a large boardroom, a medium room, a conference room, and then you have a small conference room, but then you might have 10 other small meeting rooms, but they're simply just private offices because it does get distracting. Mm -hmm. And I've read a lot of reports on this. People think the open office concept, like you said, it varies. It does work for some and it doesn't work for other. If people need to be collaborative, I mean, I've been in multiple offices where people have their headphones on because they need to concentrate. Mm -hmm. It just really varies. I, I think the ones, I think the open office environment are great provided that they're flooded with the amount of private offices that would normally be in that space. But instead of being used for an individual office, they would be used for a little 
hop in and you have a huddle, you know, a little meeting. Because mm-hmm. that that's that's key. Because there there are always private conversations. Because you're just going to interrupt people on the floor. Because it gets pretty quiet on the floor with a bunch of workstations. Mm, interesting. So I think the the key is a lot of meeting and a lot of huddle rooms. Those are a huge re, uh, request. The other thing that is um, vital are keep employee, employees engaged. Bright, open space is always always key for most people. And it's interesting, after 20 years of doing this, building owners that do it right know how to lease space. Hmm. So when a tenant moves out of a building, and let's say it's a four-story building, it's an 80-story building, it doesn't matter. And let's say it's a, it could be a 5,000-square-foot space, it could be an entire 20,000-square-foot floor, it doesn't matter. But the space is... 10 years old, seven years old, it's got 50% private offices, 50% open. So you're kind of walking through your client, the landlord says, Hey, we can, or their landlord broker, you know, at the big real estate firms that serve those, serve those types of customers, you know, the landlords, Hey, we'll do tenant improvements. We'll build it as you see fit. We'll tear down on these offices. We'll build them over here. But when you're walking around the floor, it's hard to see an open plan. Yeah, right. And a lot of customers that haven't been through this process have a hard time envisioning it. Mm-hmm. Then when you take a customer through a space that's been demolished, meaning completely ripped out, there's no, you know, it's a, it, it, the building's constructed, but inside that 4,000 or 8,000 or the entire floor, it's what we call shell, meaning there are no improvements. You can see the under side of the upper floor and you're just walking on concrete and all you're doing is you have nearly 360 degrees of glass view people snap and they just go oh it's so nice and bright and and yeah they have to do a a four to six month tenant improvement job you know whether they're going to build it whether the landlords are going to build it so that's why i'm kind of signifying and sharing that story with you that people really like natural light. I mean, it is by far the most stimulating for the mood. And in fact, I think you probably know as well, getting natural sunlight helps with people's circadian rhythm, mood elevation, you name it. Mm-hmm. That's been a big part of it. People do not like to go to dark, dingy spaces. Yeah, it'd be interesting to, as this all develops, I really suspect that if you have a beautiful place to go work that's really functional, then you won't mind going to the office, especially if it means getting away from your noisy three-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, at the end of the day, I could sit here and chat about awesome designs and open ceiling plans that went away 10 years ago and now they're back, you know, the what they call creative loft, which just means you tear out the ceilings and then you see the underside, you know, kind of like if you're in a Chipotle Mexican restaurant. But at the end of the day, People like open, light, and bright space. That is a super high, it's not the most important one. I was doing a small little 2,000 square foot lease for eight people the beginning of this year, pre-COVID lockdown. And I never would have thought they would have chosen. It was simply because it was all wide open. It was in the corner of a six-story, 160,000 foot building on the fifth floor. And it was just a corner spot all glass, all open, demolished out. And it just, all the light came in and 
their mind just goes, wow, this is a space, no problem, add a few offices and we're done. But to try to do the reverse and get the client sometimes to imagine that is a little bit challenging. Oh, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can relate. Okay, I'm going to totally switch gears on you here. Uh, so tell us what's happening with with, uh, with lease costs in uh, the big picture. And I'm going to fold that in with another a big question here. What about people asking for lease relief? You know, that, that's a great question. So the lease cost, uh, let, me, let me circle back. I'll answer the second question first because that might be a little bit easier. The, the rent relief. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that when lockdown came and California obviously mandated no evictions and landlords had to allow tenants to defer rent, provided they give the landlord notice before the rent is due. Okay. And second, within a week, they give the landlord proof. They didn't say what type of proof, just show financial proof that you've been under duress and can't make rent. Okay. Now, as of yesterday, June 30th, because today is July 1st, they just extended that order to September 30th. Oh, I see. Oh, just I as didn't of yesterday. That. Okay. Yep. In the, in the city of San Diego. So I don't know if that's for the full state of California. I haven't been able to dig anything up on that. So in other words, if you're a tenant and you're struggling, you give the landlord notice before the first of the month, which is typically when the rent's due. And then you landlord doesn't have to do anything, nor does a tenant, but the tenant has six months to pay it back. So that was ending June 30th. They extended it out to September 30th. Wow. So big jump. what I have seen a big jump. Yeah. And I think because everybody's really going, the PPP money could be a false bounce. I mean, we only have yeah. one more month. We don't see a lot. I'll tell you, there hasn't been a huge issue with collecting rent on a majority scale for the months so far. I think July and August and when the PPP money runs out, I think that's going to be a, you know, a big wake up call. But with respect to rent relief, for the most part, I, I probably took took part on maybe, uh, gosh, 120 to 30 calls for the months of March and April, helping customers just either walk them through the rent deferral program that was set up by the local municipalities and the state municipalities, or working something else out with the landlord whereby, hey, a three-month rent deferral is not going to work. We need six months of half rent. And can we have the year of 2021 to pay it back? Mm-hmm. So m- for the most part, most of them have been deferrals. Most landlords have not been so far as going, hey, no problem. We'll give you two months free or three months free, et cetera. Having said that, I will tell you that we are seeing a small percentage of deals, current transactions, where we are able to restructure the lease early and get early abatement of rent or free rent, or if the client is above market in rent, reduce the rent. These aren't that prevalent of transactions right now, simply because, as I mentioned before, we're a little early on the process and the market hasn't dropped yet. But those, what we call early blend and extends or lease restructures, will be more prevalent in the months to come. We just completed 30 days ago, a client that has about 50,000 feet for a biotech company in San Diego. They were expiring in about 18 months. We were able to restructure their lease. What the landlord wants is more term. 
more term gives a landlord more stability in their portfolio. Yeah. In exchange, a landlord will drop the rent and or give some free rent. Again, those are a very small, minute amount of deals that are happening right now. But I will tell you, during the credit crisis, they were going on left and right, and those will be coming. So lease relief is not really happening just yet. Again, a little bit, not a lot. It's mostly about the deferrals. I do think it's coming, though. But for, uh, to the second question, you know, what's happening with lease costs? We're seeing landlords all over the place, with the exception of biotech real estate. Mm -hmm. Biotech all over has been booming. You're seeing left and right companies getting funding for new drugs, medical device, you name it. $10 million round, $30 million round, $100 million round. One of my clients just launched a COVID testing site. Another one just got funded for oncology drugs, you name it biotech real estate has been in hot demand that for one meaning when they have a lab space within their facility mm -hmm. now the you know general administration por portion of the space the office workers those guys are working from home but the mm -hmm. lab portion which might comprise of 50 65 percent of the facility of laboratory space that's an essential part of the business they're still there running their assays their tests they're doing the science right Mm -hmm. So for that type of real estate, this kind of will be excluded from my commentary because those are at an all-time high and we are not seeing a slowdown at all at this period of time, even on the funding side from venture capital investment. Wow. On industrial side, I do believe it's going to get hit, you know, big industrial warehouses because let's face it, people are going to, spending is going to decrease. Warehouses, for the most part, are holding or you know storing retail goods for consumers or raw materials to make retail goods but the industrial market has been holding up pretty well the office market has been by far hit the worst aside from retail but as i mentioned before you know we're, we obviously do not do the retail space but that market obviously has been hit mm -hmm. i think from a r&d building an office building and industrial building we are seeing landlords pretty much immune and kind of holding on to, hey, well, the least comparable for this deal that we did, we're going, well, that was a deal that was done in March of 2020. And you probably had the rate already agreed to in December of 2019. That's pre-COVID. So there right. are some landlords that are still hanging on. There's and just not budging. There's some landlords that are making a little bit of a reach going, okay, we'll offer a, a, an 8% and 10% discount. And other ones that have been sitting on the space for quite a long time that are making, uh, you know, a 15% discount. But I do think that we're a little premature before that big tsunami hits, but I personally believe it's coming. So the lease cost definitely by the end of the year will probably dramatically drop aside from biotech space. And it's really going to be a indication of how much sublease space is put on the market. Mm -hmm. As more sublease space is placed on the market, tenants want to just dispose of that space, plug the hole, stop the bleeding, and they will discount it compared to what direct lease space is leased for. And that places pressure and competition on direct space for landlords. So you'll have rent compression because of all the sublease space. As I mentioned before with San Francisco, you can go lease a direct, a direct space from a landlord that's 20,000 feet at X, or you can go do a short-term three-year sublease 
at X, <laughs> X minus 20% or X minus 30%. It just depends on how motivated that tenant is to get out of the space. That'll have a, that'll have a huge impact on, on how the market swings. It's really interesting, isn't it? As we're talking about this, I, I keep getting this feeling, you know, we just kick the can down the road that that really, that's what's happened over the last couple of months is we've just postponed what's really on the horizon. Yeah. I, I you know, th- that's what it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like everybody's kind of kicking the can. And the other thing, you know, just aside from real estate, just the U S economy, it's an election year, stock markets booming, right? Government's putting money in the stock market. We all know that it's, you know, they're puffing up the economy. No politician wants an, an election year to, you know, to basically be a bad year economically. Mm-hmm. And and my, my gut kind of says, you know what, by the t- time things shake out, maybe this year will, will be a down year, but 21 might be a worse year. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, it's, it's definitely a delayed effect. It's, it's a very hard read for the most part. It's, it's a slow move. I do think it's kicking of the can. You know, there are already talks about another PPP loan. If they do that, that's just a false boost. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about, let, let me give you a statistic. A colleague of this shared, shared this with me. So yeah, we have what, 50 million people out of work. And about 18% of those or so are in office space. So it's 8.5 million people at 200 feet per person. You know, you're talking about 1.8 billion square feet of office space unused in the last 100 plus days. Wow. How can that, how is that going to, I mean, all over the U.S., 1.8 billion square feet. So I did a survey last night in preparation for this call, and I took an inventory of the sublease space that was coming online in the Bay Area, San Francisco, all the way down the Silicon Valley. And as I mentioned, there was a uptick in sublease availability by 33%, so 5 million square feet. But you know, the total inventory in that market is over a billion square feet. So that is, imagine all the buildings in San Francisco, all of Silicon Valley (laughs) times two. That's how much unoccupied real estate there is if you count account for that 1.8 billion square feet just due to the layoffs of just pure office space of 8.5 million square, uh, I'm sorry, 8.5 million people. And so to think that we're going to hire all those jobs back that quick, you know, I don't want to be a doom and gloomer, but I, I can't fathom it's not going to, you know, take a, <laughs> take a toll on us and, and be coming in the next quarter or the second quarter after that. It's crazy. I don't know if you have any thoughts. And yeah, I know. You, I mean, it's I, I, yeah, it's nuts, right? And and I have that same feeling. It is a very bizarre uh, situation that we're in. And when I drive around San Diego and I think about all that empty office space, right? Because because people are working right. from home, you do get this very strange kind of dystopian feeling of. Yeah, all these empty buildings and what, you know, what will happen with them? I mean, we obviously can't predict the future, but yeah, I mean, my sense is like you, it's not all going to snap back into place like a rubber band. So what's going to happen with all this space? 
No. And, and you know, and if, and if you look at it, we've been, so here, here's an interesting fact, you know, the, the economy has been on an upswing since, you know, for the past 10 years, for a decade, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the longest, if not the longest, I'm not an economist, so pardon me if I don't get my stats 100% correct, but I'm 48. It's been good. Yeah, and it's been it, good. It, it, <laughs> yeah, a 10 year run, I think, is the longest I've ever seen <laughs> um, it, or heard of. So I, I think it's the longest. But um, so I have, I have a thought on that. All right. We either, number one, keep going. And you know what? The government bails us out. We keep chug along. The question lies okay, do we? go through 20? Do we go through 21? Do we go through 22, mm-hmm. 23? At some point, a natural recession is going to occur. Mm-hmm. History is going to repeat itself. It's just math. It's all it is. It's simple math. Okay. If not, I think most of us who are going to play poker at this game, this question, are going to mm-hmm. bet that it's probably going to come at the latter part of this year or maybe next year, maybe after the election. If Trump takes it or a new president takes it over, whoever's going to have that problem to deal with. But I just don't see it going away. It took us this many years. I mean, as I told you, biotech investing has been huge in the last 24 months. Rents have gone up at least 50% in the last 18 months Wow! in biotech space in San Diego alone. Wow. I mean, rents in, in Torrey Pines, are well over $5 a foot triple net on the asking rate. Wow. And that's the highest price market. So when you add in the operating costs, you're in the mid $6 to $7 range. And in Sorrento, Mesa, Sorrento Valley, kind of our tech hub for San Diego, mm-hmm. you're in the low fours plus the operating expenses. You're five and a half bucks a square foot. You're two bucks a square foot cheaper. In the downturn, those rents were 50% yeah. of that, mm-hmm. if not less, mm-hmm. if not less. And so 18 months ago, they were, <clears throat> they were, they were definitely uh, not 50% when I meant, you know, down half of that was in the, um, you know, 2008, 2009. Uh, my, yeah. Back in but my era. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That was a while so, ago. <laughs> it, 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 exactly. And it's, and so it's, Office will definitely have a pullback. You know, biotech will have its time. But, you know, five years ago, six years ago, biotech was having a struggle. Mm-hmm. It was not getting the funding that it was needing. And without funding, biotech doesn't take off. Right now, biotech is doing very, very well. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's just a mixed bag. And a lot of people really have unsure feelings about what to do. You're going to see shorter term leases. Instead of a five-year lease, you're going to have clients or tenants wanting to do a three-year lease or a two-year lease. Or Makes maybe sense. it's a five-year lease with a termination, yeah, termination option. The nice thing about my business, what I get to see and, and where we get to really shine is most people don't know this, but I'll put in this analogy. If you are a customer and you buy services or products from a vendor and you're a repeat customer, you typically get a discount mm-hmm. if you're a repeat customer and a loyal customer for a number of years. Makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Not really how the game is played in commercial real estate. Sure. In other words, so right now when you have tenants that have expiring leases at the end of 20, at the end of 20, sometime in 21, maybe it's sometime in 22, whenever it is, chances are 
their renewing lease rate will be lower. When you take a look at the average downtime that a space sits before it's released and has rent being paid on that particular space to the landlord or the owner of the building, on average, you're anywhere from nine months to 24 months, depending upon how big the space is, that it'll sit. A 10,000 foot space, the average downtime is eight to 10 months. When it when that tenant says, "Hey, my lease is coming up. I've been such a great tenant. Um, we're currently paying. I'm making up a number. Three dollars a square foot. You know, the, the market's down now. It's two seventy a square foot or two fifty a square foot. We want market rent, but we also want to get that eight months of downtime in form of free rent. The landlord's going to say, "Hey, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. They they want to get the value add and they want to charge." that tenant for not being a repeat customer, in other words, and paint the sky blue. And so really what you're going to have is a lot of competition in the market where by when it does get hit by the tidal wave, other landlords are going to do crazy things. You're going to see landlords going, look, sign a five-year lease. I'll give you one year free. Yeah. Jennifer, I just, I just did a, a 14 month lease in Carlsbad for 2000 feet two months ago. And the landlord gave us four months free. Wow. I, I never thought that was possible. No. And you know what? Landlords are starting to slowly shift going, look, we don't really care about the value of the building as much anymore. We just want the cash flow. Oh. That's a trigger. Landlords are nervous. If landlords reach out to tenants and they say, Hey, Mr. Tenant, Mrs. Tenant, we will renew your lease early. We know it's coming up in a year or six months. How about if we give you a couple months free and lower your rent by 10 cents and we'll extend the term out three years? Mm-hmm. Well, if, if you don't know what you're doing, that is a horrible deal. When you run the math on a break-even analysis, a landlord will break even by renewing a tenant typically around 60 to 65 cents on the dollar. Obviously, you're not going to recapture all of that savings or the profit margin that that landlord has built in on the renewal, but the goal is to get a well below market deal. And one way to do that is with competitive space and making sure that there's you know, an honest auction process going on um, and, and driven through the whole negotiations. But that will come in those competitive spaces, whether it be sublease space or direct space, will absolutely change the landscape and start the rent compression to occur. It's really going to be fascinating to watch. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show and and telling us kind of what's going on out there in the big world. And before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners, how they can follow your work or get in touch or anything you'd like for them to know? Yeah, just just a couple. um, Is it okay if I share just a a few bullet points, just educational tips for your listeners? Yeah, sure. Some takeaways. Yeah, great. Yeah. So uh, I know on one of your questions, we didn't get to it, you know, advice for small businesses um, or people thinking of starting a new business. This goes for every business. Number one, don't be afraid to ask for too much. If your broker is telling you, hey, well, they're asking $4 a square foot for this space. We probably shouldn't go in for, uh, you know, anything less than 20. Don't be afraid. Ask. All they can do is say no, meaning the landlord and their broker. Secondly, Sign a shorter term lease. Mm-hmm. It might be advantageous to do a one year lease. If you're a tenant that has a lease expiring in six months, it might be advantageous to do a one year renewal. Again, biotech excluded for the time being mm-hmm. because that space is difficult to find. And three, 
do not get hung up on the rent or the economics, meaning it is vital to pay attention to special components in the lease document, like compliance, air conditioning, parking fees, are all the improvements covered versus going, yeah, I get one more month of free rent out or I got my rent down 20 cents. That's great. What happens when they bail out the space and you're responsible for co-compliance and it's 50,000 bucks. Mm. So make sure that those are, are addressed by your council and or your broker. I'll leave it at that. I think that's a real missed point because it's just not all about the rent and tenant improvement dollars or free rent. It's really the the, the skeletons are buried in the lease document and term sheet. Mm. But um, devil where people is in can the follow details. me or connect, <laughs> devil's in the details. Yeah, you said it. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn. I'm an avid LinkedIn user. Scott with one T Ginsburg. So S-C-O-T-G-I-N-S-B-U-R-G. At Hughes Marino, my cell phone's on there, 858-344-5000, my email. I'm happy to give advice to anybody. I actually post and have several posts on there on, you know, one that's called what your landlord knows that you don't know. <laughs> I'm happy to connect with people, offer advice. I've been doing this 20 years, been on radio shows, and I, I enjoy public speaking and, and helping, helping the underdogs, we call them, you know, the tenants, because at the end of the day, while the landlords own the building, they wouldn't own them without the tenants paying the rent. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Jennifer. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening, everybody. Well, the pandemic isn't really over, but it seems as though we've moved into a different phase where our lives have a bit more normalcy. As a result, we're adjusting the format of the show back to fewer, more lengthy episodes airing on Tuesday and Friday, and sometimes on Sunday, since those Sunday literary episodes have been very popular. Speaking of which, our downloads have exploded during the pandemic, so thank you for your patronage. If you like what we do, you can support the show through our Patreon page. Another way to support us, which doesn't cost anything, is to follow us or like us on Podomatic.com, and that will help us increase our visibility. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a comment about who you are, what you like, or if you have a comment about the show. And finally, I also run a professional training company for people who want to advance in their careers with courses on communication skills, executive presence, and accent reduction. You can find out more at discreteguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-G-U-I-D-E. Please take care and let's talk again soon.